Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio. And I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. And we have an amazing guest today coming all the way in from Southeast Asia by the name of Vig Morthy. Welcome to the show, Vig. Morning. Thanks to be here. Welcome, Vig. We know this is uh, very early for you, but uh, we're so glad to have you on the show. Uh, Vig, as we kick things off, maybe you could give our listeners a little bit of background about you and how you came up, how you got into cyber, and what it is exactly you're doing today. Well, um, I run one of the um, telecommunications companies out of Singapore, and we've been providing um, fixed, um, fixed data services to companies in Singapore, Malaysia, across the region, um, really. Um, for probably the last 20 years. Um, I would say, you know, probably about four or five years ago, um, you know, as, as we see more cyber issues and more network challenges, um, there was a convergence or we see a convergence of more demand for network security services. And we started um, our transformation in terms of our pivot, in terms of the services that we provide to our customers in looking at how we could secure our customers' infrastructure from a network standpoint. And so today, um, you know, we, we have, I guess, to a certain degree, what, what is now called a SASE solution um, that we deploy for some customers um, across the world um, and some very interesting customers out of Singapore and also now um, across the whole of Asia where we connect um, numerous branches um, or sites into our security pops, which are located in the various countries. Um, and we secure that traffic using, you know, different technologies, um, comprising of firewalls, IPSs, um, before that traffic can go out. Um, and I guess, you know, um, I had the opportunity to, to catch up with one of your colleagues probably a couple of months ago. Um, and he was introducing to us the concept of, um, being able to mitigate um, ransomware. And I thought that would be an, um, you know, an amazing add-on um, for us to offer to our customers. Um, because that, you know, at the end of the day, when we sit down and we talk to our customers, what is the biggest fear that most um, enterprise organizations have from, a, you know, one of the biggest fears is in essence, um, you know, the disruption to the business um, if a ransomware event were to take place, right? Um, if, it, if you take a restaurant, for example, if that point of sale goes down, then um, it's going to be quite challenging in terms of how, you, how you're going to complete that business transaction for that evening or, you know, in, in the so many different parallels for there's so many different businesses of the disruption that would happen just from, a, from an event like that. So I guess that's, that's what brought, brought ViewQuest um, to you. And mm-hmm. we're very excited to see what we can do moving forward. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I think you really touched on a couple interesting points there, just this evolution of the classical telco to now having SASE type services and MSSP capabilities built in. It's more than just a, a delivery of, 
of pipes. And uh, I've I've been doing business um, in throughout Asia, but particularly in Southeast Asia now for over a decade. And I've spent a lot of time in Singapore. And it seems to be Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, that, that whole region seems to be very um, open-minded when it comes to Yes, let's let's embrace MSSP services to complement and help help uh, you know address our security needs. Juxtaposed to let's just try to do everything in house without any expertise and complementary services that potentially you see in other regions. Do you do you find that that's becoming more of an accepted practice now, leveraging the expertise from uh, groups like yourself that are providing these expert level services? Um, I think that's that's very much um, the trend or, or what's what's happening out here, um, you know. And the reason for this is is a couple um, a couple of of different things that are happening. One is basically you've got um, many different countries with many different cultures, many different languages, um, and you know there's a massive challenge when it comes to the the talent um, pool in the cyberspace, right? Um, these companies have to focus on on their own businesses and they have to stretch that dollar. Um, and even, even more so uh, with the current economic conditions of what's happening today, um, it's just very challenging to have, um, to find the right people uh, with the right resources for these companies to have in-house. And it just makes sense for them to work with a, with a managed security services partner like us, um, where we are able to deliver outcomes as, a, as opposed to them having to put together solutions and then, you know, um, there's a whole, you know, everything's dis disjointed and disconnected. Um, just, just simply by, by coming to an organization like us, we've got, we've got experience of having done it for other organizations. We see where things um, potentially create roadblocks for other customers and we are able to share those findings um, with customers that come on, right? When we, when we do process improvement on one side, then that translates into process improvement for all the customers that we that we provide services to. So definitely, um, we see this as as um, not a, not at all um, a challenge or barrier in terms of of customers taking up the service. They actually see it as a as a big value, and at the end of the day, uh, we are able to deliver this outcome to the customers from at a lower cost than for them to do it themselves, mm -hmm. which is what makes you know the most important thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I think, you know, you can see there's a, there's a gap, right? There's a knowledge gap and a security gap with resources and it's worldwide. It's not, this gap isn't something that's a challenge only to North America, Europe. It's clearly there. And, and with that security gap, that's why, you know, managed services like yours can be tremendously impactful to, to organizations. Um, and Vig, talk a little bit about you, you talked about, you focus <clears throat> a lot on network side. You see kind of just we're in a 5G world now. Then you look at the security side. You mentioned things like SASE. You have managed detection and response. You've got the internal and external attack surface management. You have all these things that you know can touch on the network side. Can you talk about some of the biggest challenges you're kind of solving from a network perspective? And and furthermore, where how do you see, you know, some call them edge devices, like these smart connected devices. This is an IOT security podcast. We talk a lot about these XIOT devices to when did you start seeing the connected smart devices come into the fold of all the other things you're kind of solving from a network perspective? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so 
Okay, a couple of things, right? I think coming back to, to this whole Asia, Asia um, challenge or paradigm, um, you know, in, in the US, in Europe, you've got your, your various cloud service providers that basically have compute, which is, you know, quite close to the end users. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you have these, you know, large, large brand, um, SASE providers that are able to up, go out there and provide subscription services for securing, um, customer networks, um, that the, the ideology of, you know, if I've got a hundred branches or a thousand branches in, in continental USA, and I don't trust any, any traffic data in transit. Now that data in transit from my branch could be not only my endpoints, which would be my desktops and laptops, what, but what would also be my, whatever IOT devices are in the organization, you know, as basic as IP cameras, telephones, mm-hmm. um, photocopiers, printers, uh, whatever that might be. Um, yep. you know, we are able to secure that very easily, um, to a certain extent because these security pops exist, you know, re- in relatively close distance um, to the 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 to where these locations are located, or the sites are located. Now, you take Asia for example, and you start from China and you come down all the way to India, and the prevalence of the cloud service providers is simply not there. You know, you've got some compute locations in Singapore, you've got a couple in Japan, and maybe you know something in in Hong Kong. Um, and then you take, you know, we take a very a, a rapidly growing market like the Philippines. Um, and the Philippines, let, you know, I've got a logistics customer that we work there, work with, and he's got, you know, almost a thousand branches across the country. And any traffic that he would like to secure has to go all the way from the Philippines to Singapore, U-turn and go back. Hmm. Um, so from an efficiency standpoint, um, you know, the customer's challenge, I mean, you know, saying this doesn't, just doesn't work for me because it's just putting a, a network latency impact on me, number one. Number two is the size of these branches in comparison to what goes on in the West is drastically different. So that translates into revenue generated per branch or per, per employee um, being very different. And so therefore the budgets that are available um, to, to, to allocate to securing again becomes very different, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, by when we build these security pops, um, which then allows us to inspect all traffic, which is originating from customer network or while they work from home or while they work from remote and that traffic is traversing, um, our security pops, then it allows us the ability to inspect, um, what's within each branch allows us to discover all of these unmanaged devices very quickly, very easily, um, give customers that visibility of, look, this is what is happening in your infrastructure or, and across the entire footprint of that infrastructure. Um, it allows us to potentially manage um, those devices, um, show customers where the, the, the gaps are in terms of the security posture, um, and, and further enhance that, that, that security, right? Because today, in essence, if you're, on, if, if that endpoint isn't, you know, a Windows or a Mac device or a, let's say a, a Linux, um, to a certain extent, um, you know, you really don't have anything, um, that enables you to sit, to, to, to mitigate challenges in that environment. So I think, you know, the, the fit, um, you know, we are very ideal in a very ideal situation. 
where, you know, with all of that customer traffic, um, in a sense, traversing, uh, having to pass through our infrastructure, we are in an ideal position to, to help our customers secure that. Yeah, you know, that's that's really interesting. You hit on some really key topics there. Uh, when we at Phosphorus uh, sort of look at our world of customers, it's it's in three distinct but yet overlapping groups. It's it's the enterprise, you know, Fortune 500, Global 2000 type, type businesses, uh, which can be financial services. It could be uh, healthcare, insurance, uh, things of that nature. The other side are, are the uh industrial manufacturing and critical infrastructure, you know, SCADA type environments, power and energy, oil and gas mining. And the third one are government agencies. And depending on the countries, uh, sometimes the government agencies are very much interwoven uh, with the other parts. And in some countries, they're a little bit more separated. I'm wondering, because you do uh, operate in so many different countries and, you, and you're helping them address their security risks, do you see differences in terms of what they're concerned about, enterprises versus critical infrastructure versus government? Or is it is it really just the same stuff? Is it the ransomware that they're concerned about? Is it, is it really just the nuts and bolts security? Or do you see some specialization across those three disparate areas? I think I, um, I think fundamentally the, 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 the primary theme that we see in every location is really um, the concern around disruption. Um, to operations, um, you know, whether that whether a device gets compromised, whether 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 something gets ransomware, um, it, it's really about disruption. Then, you know, naturally, um, you would have, um, I would say, your your much larger um, your Fortune five hundred type companies or your government agencies, um, where there's there's a there's a bit of focus around data leak prevention. Right, they don't mm-hmm. want um, their customers' data or, or state data getting out. So there's a there's a little bit more focus on that. But I think you know, to a great extent, um, because of the size of, of of Southeast Asia or in that in that regard, um, the largest industries really are made up of your small to medium enterprise, right? Um, and there, the the primary primary issue is really around disruption to operations and then and then also naturally you know if, if something were to happen to any other organization then it's brand risk um you know um the people have entrusted i mean we take something very simple um as as maybe childcare or, or early early children education where you might have um cctv cameras there to to assure or provide um comfort around the fact that you know your children are in a safe environment. Um, now, if you're not, if you don't have the right cyber posture or the right cyber hygiene, then that infrastructure that you deployed to, to so-called provide a, a safer environment has just done the exact opposite, right? So I, I think there's a lot of different verticals there, but fundamentally, I know it's, it's, it's uh, what, what I see is really around disruption to business and, and protection of, uh, Protecting the brand reputation, you know, people have loyalty programs, all sorts of these things. And, you know, every other day we see such and such organization has had a massive data breach or data leak and things like that, right? So what are some of the, yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, there are many attacks and you talked a little bit about, obviously, there's big concerns today on the ransomware side and we're seeing 
you know, prevalence of those types of attacks as you move into the XIOT, the IOT kind of side, you know, you've got botnets like Mirai, you've got we're seeing attacks like Quiet Exit now. Are there specific exploits and things you're you're finding, Vig, over there that, you know, you're particularly focused on or that you've seen or that um, you know, are prevalent more geographically uh, uh, around uh, you know, Asia and the, the, your area, geographic area that might be a little bit different than what we're seeing in some other regions? What we do see across, across um, multiple organizations, um, or what we do hear of, right, the, the two fundamental things is always data breach, right? Mm-hmm. Data breach due to just poor hygiene, right? They've, they've made a mistake, they've, they've failed to secure this or they failed to secure that. Um, and as such, you know, a whole bunch of customer data is um, available for sale on the dark web or something along those lines. And then the other thing that we see is always, you know, um, the trigger that makes a lot of organizations come and say, look, you know, we need to do something about our endpoint security. The moment somebody comes and says that, we know they've been ransomware, right? Um, and, you know, in the past, they've been, they've not been, you know, they've always, maybe they've been a bit... Um, dismissive about the need to 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 do that and now that it's happened then they now realize that that's an issue um and so then when people come and start having these discussions then we know fundamentally um it's around that event and and also you know in the past you'd have organizations that don't necessarily understand the implication um and this maybe you know not not so much in iot um, but we see this a lot in um, retail F&B. Um, and I, you know, I'll give you an example, maybe, maybe a fried chicken chain, right? And you have several thousand um, outlets in a country. Um, and they have a point of sale and they might be running some sort of endpoint security on that point of sale. Um, and they believe they don't need anything else because that endpoint security is going to prevent any malware from coming in and executing. Um, but then they forget or they don't realize operationally the people who work in that location refuse to reboot that point of sale machine because they are afraid the machine won't come on and then they've got to go find IT and, and then somebody's going to blame them. Mm-hmm. So as long as that machine doesn't get rebooted, unfortunately, that endpoint doesn't have the latest update and you don't have security, my friend. <laughs> Isn't that the right? truth? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. and you know, we see this and, and that's scary, right? Um, so people having this false sense of um, security, right? Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, unfortunately, um, just the level of maturity um, in terms of, of my cyber risk or, my, or, or um, what needs to be done um, is just lacking. So, you know, this is where um, as a managed security services provider or MSSP, um, this is a value that we bring to our customers in terms of understanding their landscape, um, seeing what challenges, um, you know, operational issues. I and mean, they sit down and they tell us something like that and we say, and then we can ask the right questions because some vendors come in there or some real sellers has come in there and said, look, if you install this, you're safe. And the ability to question and, and verify just isn't there. That, that is, I, I would say that is the big problem in Asia, the lack of, of understanding of, um, or that visibility of realizing, um, you know, what is my, my risk? 
Yeah. Right. And what, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, uh, I, I think we're actually seeing that worldwide. I mean, it's interesting. So when, when we talk about XIOT at Phosphorus, we really think of three uh, different groups. The first one is enterprise IOT. These are your, your printers, your security cameras, your door locks, your uh, KVM switches, lights out management, you know, traditional IOT stuff. Then we see the OT SCADA stuff, digital equipment that controls physics, flow, volume, voltage, usually for power and energy, oil and gas, mining, transportation. And then it's the network devices, the layer two switches, the wireless access points, the network attached storage, the load balancers. And all of those devices are purpose-built, purpose-built hardware and software, although most of it most of them, almost all of them are running Linux or a Linux variant. We see a lot of Ubuntu, BusyBox, um, Android, which is a Linux variant. On the network side, maybe BSD. And on the OT side, real-time operating systems like um, VxWorks and, and other things like that. But across those three categories, the one that I find the most interesting in terms of adoption rate, because we see about three to five devices per employee and organization. So a company of 10,000 people will generally have about 30 to 50,000 XIOT devices. And for retail, it's actually a little bit higher. For law firms, it's a little bit lower. But for critical infrastructure, it's quite a bit higher. But that's an industry that historically has been a little bit slow in terms of adopting um, what we might consider pretty mainstream cybersecurity controls, whether it's endpoint or network or discovery. Uh, but it's also one of the areas that's most vulnerable. You talked about disruption. Um, in some cases, they're literally keeping the lights on or keeping uh, you know, airplanes in the sky or trains on the yeah. track. Uh, are you finding that that particular group that we'll just put under the umbrella of critical infrastructure, are they, are they starting to come around, you think, as it relates to just general cybersecurity best practices and being able to leverage those controls in their environments to mitigate the attacks that we know are now getting into OT environments from traditionally IT environments? Is that something that's occurring or is, does there just have to be a lot more awareness and education in that industry uh, throughout Asia to get people to, to understand those risks? Um, I'd say, it, look, it's, it's, I would divide it into two very big camps, right? Um, I think you've got potentially your mature economies in Asia um, that would, would say critical infrastructure, power plants. Um, you, know, I've, um, you know, I'm working with a consultant or a contractor that's, that's um, working on, on upgrading the infrastructure at one of the airports um, mm -hmm. in the region. And a lot of control systems around, you know, aircraft landing lights, um, all the taxiways and things like that. And traditionally, these networks were, were, were basically, in a sense, um, completely disconnected um, from the rest of the world. And as these networks get connected, you know, they, they do have um, the organization that, that, that operates the airport has, you know, is aware and, and wants, to, wants to address how they're going to secure that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the, of the curve, um, you know, you've got um, probably other countries in Asia um, where, you know, maybe maybe they're not as as wealthy or or have as much um, disposable in, um, uh, money, um, where these are not a priority yet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and it's not because I guess that they don't take things seriously. It's just from a standpoint of 
where that where they are on their economic journey and whether they are in a position to do that yet and yeah. you know you've you've also got um a whole bunch of of other organizations or, or locations that the, the awareness is just still so lacking right they don't mm-hmm. they don't realize the implication and i guess more and more we we see this right we, we hear our stories of um, power generation facilities being being ransomware or or being held hostage um, because some compromise was done through through a, you know IoT X IoT before you know to bring to bring that infrastructure down. So you know I think fundamentally um, there needs to be a lot of education and a lot of awareness um, around how to how to how to how to secure this this infrastructure because these people are not I guess. The education and the you know the the, the realization um, of of the implication is just not there. You know, I've walked into many uh, I best I guess you call it a building control room or, or you know where they have where they have the lift controls and the HVAC controls and and all the cameras and you've got a security guard or two security guards sitting there. And you know, it's not uncommon to see the password and username and password stuck on the monitor screen. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> their their security is it's under the keyboard. <laughs> now you you know you you brought up a really excellent point about their economic journey, and I and I've had this conversation with healthcare providers actually at a very large hospital, and they were telling us, look, every dollar that we spend that's not on the patient care or the patient experience, whether that's doctors, nurses, M- MRI machines. Uh, the, the technology that's directly serving the patient is uh, every dollar we don't spend is a dollar we can't give towards those patients. So a dollar spent on security, uh, you know, that takes a dollar away from there. So it's this balancing act, right? And you were talking about, you know, these these new infrastructures that are being implemented that are now online. They're connected for aircraft when they're landing, obviously very critical. Um, but the interesting thing we're seeing across these, and I'm glad you hit the point about education awareness is, most of these devices, again, they're Linux servers, but the sad thing is we didn't really learn when we started developing these 50 billion plus XIoT devices and throwing them out into the world. We didn't really learn from IT because they have default passwords. Most of them are run old firmware. They're filled with vulnerabilities. They have shared libraries and white labeling and all these other things that just make them an absolute nightmare multiplied by the sheer volume for organization. I mean, we have big box retailers that you can walk into and you might be in a single store, that single store might have 10,000 XIOT devices. And if you think a half, let's say half, 5,000 of them, they're Linux servers with default or no passwords that are connected to everything else. And you start talking about data exfiltration, a way to implement ransomware, and they're great places to hide. You can maintain persistence, you can evade detection, because now you're on a whole bunch of printers, you're on cameras, you can use that to attack I- IT assets. And it's uh, it's interesting to talk about, but I tell you, we're, we're involved in a lot of uh, IoT villages. And we've been demoing this to people where we actually hack into robots and industrial robots for manufacturing. We show you what you can do. Instead of shaving off the metal so it's one millimeter thick, now it's two millimeters thick. So it passes QA, it goes into production, and maybe this car part fails 5,000 miles down the road, and now they're going to have to have a massive recall. Or using a security camera to attack 
cloud-based assets or local exchange servers and things like that and steal data. And it's such an eye-opener for so many organizations. They're like, I had no idea that all these little quote-unquote smart devices could cause so many problems. Where do I start? And then it's like, well, how do I get my arms around this? What what do I do? Where, where does this follow my cycle? And it, it seems to be it's it's opened up a new Pandora's box as it relates to security because we thought about network security and endpoint security and application security and data security. While we were doing all that, the bad guys were thinking, attacking printers, attacking security cameras, attacking robots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think we I think we we missed something and there was a there there's a few years in there where the 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 bad guys, the malicious nation state actors and the cyber criminals kind of have an edge over organizations that aren't looking at that. Um so, you know, I I guess my question there is and you know, where you and I are about to uh, embark on a, on a very large tour through Southeast Asia, meeting with a number of customers. But uh, this is what we're trying to get people aware of and let them know that this is a problem. You're probably being compromised already. I know you have 50,000 other problems you need to deal with, but this has to be on the list and probably has to be a high priority. Do you think there's bandwidth? And do you think there's economic readiness for organizations to say, Yes, I get it. This is a problem. Please, how can, how can you guys help me? And how can you provide your expertise as an MSSP with these advanced services to address these threats? I think definitely there's, 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 there's room for this, right? And I think our ability, um, you know, for, for any of our customers, um, with, with them putting in very little effort um, or, you know, for us to be able to give them that visibility and help them secure that infrastructure. You know, on that on that same note, we see you know it's not just in the enterprise environment, you know, and this and maybe regressing a little bit into um, a bit of the core DNA of of Uquest, which is you know we provide fiber to the home, fiber to the curb, fiber to the office, which is in mm-hmm. essence um, we have a whole lot of of homes um, connected to our network as well. Um, and at home, I have fifty IoT devices, yep. you know, um, smart switches, smart sprinklers, smart this, smart everything. Um, and you know, the, the only time you really set it up was the day you bought it. Yeah. And then it, it just gets forgotten into the background. Yes. Okay. My home may not be, may not be a high value target, but I think something that we've all realized with this whole work from home is we now bring that office sanctioned device home or that office sanctioned mobile device home. We connect mm-hmm. it to our local Wi-Fi networks where there's a whole bunch of devices that nobody's looked at for forever. And one of the very interesting use cases for us in terms of looking at the, looking at, at ourselves as a telco was we could start scanning the entire, um, our networks of customer connected edge devices just to be able to go look, tell customers, look, you've got a router that's connected to the, to us that maybe is four years old and hasn't been updated. And there's a whole bunch of, of flaws or vulnerabilities, right? Just that's that kind of thing. So I mean, something else, you know, another kind of change that we are trying to drive across the industry, or at least in this part of the world, is I, you know, we believe that um, telecommunication service providers or internet service providers that carry customer traffic or provide internet access to customers have a role to play in terms of inspecting that traffic and alerting our customers if we see things that are not 
the best, right? So mm-hmm. if you see botnet traffic or you see some sort of attack, you know, not that we have to, to provide um, the best IPSs or, or provide, you know, um, things like that. But in essence, some sort of visibility, it's very easy to see if you've got a whole lot of traffic going to a particular IP address because of the command and control and to, to, to actively do something to, to block that because you're achieving two things, right? You are protecting your customers to a certain extent and you're also making the internet a safer place. In, if you draw other parallels, if you, if you're a nation state and you operate border control, then you are selective or you control um, who comes in and goes out because it's, it's going to affect the security of your, of your country. Same way we do it for our homes or offices. Um, but as telecommunication service providers, we don't do any of that. So I think, um, um, you know, the, the, the contribution or the participation to make, to increase cyber hygiene, um, does lie, um, with the service providers or else as well. Yeah. And to that extent, Vig, you know, is there more pressure from service provider MSSP side to be able to more effectively discover all of these various, you know, the, again, there's so many of them. Brian went through how many they're smart devices, right? And then often, as we say, if it's smart, it's likely pretty vulnerable, but you've got all these devices and, you know, there's, there's commonalities through them. They can't run endpoint an agent of any kind, right? They speak TCP IP. They, they're connected. They're network connected. They're purpose built. They're like mini Linux servers and all these things. Um, but how do you find them? Right. Um, you know, we, we, you talked about the fact, you know, the passwords right there on the device, 50% of these things are deployed with default credentials and the other 50%, if they've ever been changed, were were changed when they were deployed. So essentially it's a hundred percent of the devices are running, you know, with old, you know, credentials, if not default, um, firmware seven years old, right? Uh, they, they ship half the time with, with CVS, CVSS scores of eight to nine to 10. I mean, they're, they're a mess, right? But in many cases, how do you find them? Is there pressure on, you know, an organization like yours and others today now to like start understanding what these devices are, that they exist even in a home and a business? Um, in more of a kind of operational technology environment, is that part of kind of a, a challenge that you see? Um, un- unfortunately, right. Um, this is something that I think we've been trying to lobby for in, in some of the countries that we operate, and um, we're just not seeing um, the right pressure um, mm-hmm. from from um, to 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 basically offer this service. I think, I think to a certain extent, what's happening is we are going out there and differentiating our offering, um, in comparison to other service providers, um, by providing a safe, a safer internet or a cleaner internet for our customers. So I think the way the, the industry is evolving is really, you know, you, as opposed from a regulatory standpoint, um, to say that you need to do this, um, the approach has been, um, if your customers see value, then you're going to do better than your, than your peers. So, mm-hmm. you know, on one side that's happening, but I do, you know, I, I do remember, uh, I do recall seeing a paper, um, coming out from the regulators in Australia, which actually stipulate that the, um, service providers or telecommunications companies that provide connectivity to the small and medium enterprise and the homes 
consumers need to provide some basic level cyber um, protection because these are the most vulnerable group because they unfortunately are the least aware or least and, and the least in a position to invest in something to to protect themselves right mm -hmm. your 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 small startup um, SME that's maybe you know doing I don't know waffles or or something like that you know that's you know the first thing is really you know about get the right recipe get the food out you know and and it, it's you know small business owner um, mm -hmm. that's the last thing on your mind and so you know if if I'm getting that internet connection for my cafe um, from a responsible service provider that that does some of the basic things, I think you know the whole industry can move towards um, a safer place because at the end of the day, for a service provider to invest in that infrastructure and and then have that spread across thousands and thousands of customers, the economics start to make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that's a that's a hot topic amongst providers. <laughs> like, do we just is, is it just a, a, a big open pipe? Or do we have services on top? And what if we cause a problem? And you know, where's, where, where's liability, but uh, it, it's it's definitely worth discussing. And what, uh, you know, sometimes what kept us secure has stopped working and we need to rethink things and see how we yeah, can address yeah. this now that you got all these, like, like you said, you know, if, if my business is making waffles, I probably don't have a full-time security guru uh, on staff to, to help with that. Um, yeah. Well, Vig, as we wrap up here, I just have one, one final question for you and we could, we could certainly go on for hours and hours, but uh, uh, just any, any kind of words of wisdom that you want to leave with our listeners here as it relates to, you know, some, some steps that they could take to, uh, you know, have a, a, a more secure, uh, you know, uh, living on, on the internet and just keep their, keep themselves and their organization and their, and their devices safer. Uh, I'm sure you've been exposed to lots of different use cases and stories, but any, any simple steps that people can take? <laughs> um, I, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, when they think about these things, they, they feel it's such a, it's such a, you know, huge um, problem um, that they need to, to, to take steps to, to help um, manage. But, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of service providers out there, um, you know, that, that really can help you um, secure your infrastructure um, from a very, um, uh, Easy standpoint, you know, by, by adding a, you know, a small, a small fee on top of what you do, be it, you know, whether you're a small office, whether you want to secure your, your home services and things like that. There's a whole bunch of, 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 I think, um, emerging companies. Um, and you know, if, if any of you need any assistance out there, you know, more than happy, please reach out to Viewcrest. You know, I think we've got some, um, very, um, effective solutions that, that, that can fit, um, various organizations' needs. And we'll be more than happy to to help you guys out in, on that journey. Yeah, that's great, Vig. I appreciate that and fantastic discussion. Thanks so much for joining us today. And, and to that extent, where do we have listeners? Many of them may be in Asia Pacific, Southeast Asia, in your area. Um, let's uh, tell them where they can find you. Uh, what's the best way for listeners to uh, to find you and, and uh, your company and your services if they need that? Um, the best way probably head over to our website. That's um, www.viewqwest.com. So V-I-E-W-Q-W-E-S-T.com. Um, and you can, you know, drop us a line there and somebody be, be in contact with you. Awesome. 
Well, thanks so much again, Vig Morthy, for joining us and to my co-host, Brian Contos. Thank you so much for joining us today, Vig. Thank you. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. And we'll see you all next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast.